0: Welcome to now hear this entertainment a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show as well as fans of music in general and a podcast for musicians singers songwriters artists entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing i'm your host bruce worzniak from now hear this incorporated check out nhte.net and be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well You can find the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and TuneIn Radio. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Nashville, my guest is a musician, producer, music publisher, author, and the son of a rock and roll legend. He also hosts a podcast and maybe most importantly is somewhat of a newlywed with a baby due soon you have been hearing Pretty Woman from the new album A Love So Beautiful, featuring my guest, his brothers, their dad, and the Royal Philharmonic. It's my pleasure to welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Roy Orbison Jr. Hello, hello. Hey, Roy. Thanks very much for making time for this. Oh, thank you. What a pleasure. Let's have you start off first by telling the listeners about the song we were just playing that that recording of pretty woman that features you and your brothers and your dad and the Royal Philharmonic.
1: Well, the Royal Philharmonic orchestra, um, did an album with Elvis two, three years ago. And that was called if I can dream. And it did so well, uh, that we already saw opportunity for Roy. But the next year they did Elvis again, 2016. Hmm. And that album was called the wonder of you. And, uh, my dad, Roy Orbison's career parallel, uh, parallels Elvis's in so many ways. They both started at Sun Records uh, and worked with Sam Phillips. And they, Elvis went to RCA, Roy went to RCA. They worked in the RCA studio, the museum in Nashville. And then Elvis made movies. Roy made a movie with MGM. Just all the way down the line and that still goes on. Elvis Presley is still the king of rock and roll and anything that does well for him usually does well for Roy. Mm -hmm. So we got the opportunity, Don Reedman and Nick Patrick are the producers of all these great Royal Philharmonic Orchestra albums. Um, Roy's album is called A Love So Beautiful, Roy Orbison with the Royal Philharmonic. And that song was Pretty Woman that used to be easily Roy's uh, most popular song. People would go, that's his biggest hit, but... In recent years, the song You Got It with younger people, you know, under 30, uh, they like You Got It a little better. And You Got It is now rivaling Oh, Pretty Woman is Roy's greatest song. But it was used in the movie with um, Julia Roberts, and I believe they're even trying to make a new musical out of it in Uh um, Broadway. But uh, that version that you heard was we isolated Roy's voice and with some technology. uh, The Royal Philharmonic Orchestra played in the Abbey Road studio number two which is the beatles room Mm. where they recorded all those great hits and uh and they did the backing tracks and then my brother wesley who played uh, acoustic 12 string guitar on that song and my brother alex orbison who played drums and myself roy jr we played with my dad and uh the, the It was a, uh, an unbelievable experience to hear his voice coming through the headphones. <laughs> it, it was a dream for us. It's why we play music in the first place. And uh, he died in 1988, December 6, 1988. And uh, none of us really got to perform the way that we would have liked to, you know, as his band. Mm-hmm. This gives us that opportunity. And uh, the, the final little capper on the song that makes it my favorite musical experience that I've ever done was that I, I had a baby, Roy Orbison III, on March 2nd, 2016. And he was 10 months old, and I took a, I took a Stratocaster, tuned it to open E, because the song "A Pretty Woman begins in E, and I uh, put a microphone on it and ran it into a Marshall stack in the other room, pretty mm-hmm. loud, and just let the baby play. <laughs> and those are the opening notes that you heard on this song, the wow. strange... Uh, wow. Before the, uh, the the orchestra comes in, so there's a saying that the fans picked up a long time ago that Roy even named one of his albums, and that is the title. There is only one Roy Orbison, and uh, in this case, there are three Roy Orbison. <laughs> on the same track. We have three generations: Roy Orbison, my father, Roy, or- Roy Orbison Jr., and Roy Orbison the third, and my brothers all playing on the one song, and it's a it's a monster it's It's my favorite song, of course,
0: that is really cool. that's really cool. so tell me this, Roy, when the Royal Philharmonic approaches and says that this is what they want to do, is it yeah, let's do it, or are there legalities involved in terms of uh, licensing and you know them getting the rights to to the music and that type of thing?
1: Oh, I like this question. Um, well. Uh, my mother, Barbara Orbison, used to handle Roy's uh, management and uh, well, it was his partner in crime, so to speak. She died December 6th, 1988. Uh, no, my dad died December 6th, 1988. My mother died the same day 23 years later, December 6th, 2011. And so since then, the past uh, several years, my brothers Alex and Wesley and I have been managing my dad. And so there are some legalities. You know, some of the songs are public domain. Some of the songs someone else wrote, but uh, to get the original vocals, they needed our permission, and we needed their permission to play on it. So it was mm. it was um, both ways. We couldn't have done it without them. They couldn't have done it without us. Wow. Uh, and um, so there were some legalities that had to, uh, you know, some licensing that had to be done. Okay. And, And a lot of business, yeah.
0: Yeah, I I wanted to ask that because I'm often heard, and for your benefit, Roy, this show is geared, you know, certainly towards the fans of the guests that I have on. And and I like to say fans of just good music interviews in general. But I really like to try to do this show to help the up-and-comers who are listening to learn lessons from my guests every week. And we do talk from time to time about, look, if you're going to record a cover song, you don't just do it you got to go through the proper channels and know that there's licensing and there's procedures that have to be followed and so i i wondered in a case like this when it's a you know a prestigious outfit such as the royal philharmonic do they just come knocking and you say well look at who it is of course they can do it or is it look we respect who you are but there's still a procedure that has to be followed here for our dad's music
1: well that is a great question um sony legacy is behind this and that's Sony Legacy UK uh, the different branches of a big company like Sony or legacy they each have individual territories that can kind of decide what's best for the company and uh, and they are autonomous so each territory can say yes or no wow. to, the release, to the release and this is uh, largely backed by Sony UK and some great people at the top of that company and uh, and all through the company so they have been you can't do it the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra nor Roy Orbison. You can't really do it alone. You, we, we need our company. And in this case, it's Sony Legacy. Uh, I also work with uh, many, many other companies, most of the big companies, uh, whether it's Universal or Sirius or MTV and uh, Pitchfork. And, uh, you, you've got to be involved with all of those. Yeah. Um, in this case, though, the people that came knocking were Don Reedman and Nick Patrick. These aren't common names, but uh, my brother Alex and I, we've been laughing for the past couple of weeks. These two old guys together, they're outselling to Taylor Swift year in, year out. <laughs> they really – no, in physical units because they just did Elvis and then Elvis ag- – and they sold a million. Uh. On, a million physical units. Then the next year, Elvis. This year was Elvis Christmas. They did the RPO with Aretha Franklin, the RPO with Roy Orbison. um they're actually selling in excess of 3 million units a year. Wow. These two guys, wow. they're, they're the guys behind all of this. So, uh, and they are very, very talented and at the top of their game. And they have great ears. They're producers and business people. And they're really the, the stars behind all of this. Uh, so, so we did need them. Uh, that was another aspect. But they came to us. We were on Sony. And so uh, this came through, through Sony Legacy
0: fascinating fascinating
1: it it was done very quick but it still took about two years
0: Mm. well roy we know that as a young boy you spent a lot of time in the back of a tour bus with your dad in fact on your fifth birthday he called you on stage during a concert in london and presented you with a guitar so while we might say the rest is history i'm interested in your being around all the legends in the traveling wilburys plus When you were 17 years old, you even wrote a song with U2's Bono, who you're good friends with. Rolling Stone even quoted you in a recent article about how U2 influenced today's country music.
1: Oh, yes. Well, Bono is a good friend, and he's been really a better friend to me than I am to him. He he still, whenever he plays in Sweden, he, he knows I live in Sweden, so every year I get a call from 15 people at the same time. they go, Roy, Roy, he's he, he just dedicated this song to you. Wow. You know, and, and he's in Stockholm or somewhere, and he, he'll do the song one, and then he says, Roy Kelton, that's for you. And I'm always shocked at that. I mean, uh, he was my dad's friend. Uh, but I met him at a critical time in his life as he was becoming a superstar. Joshua Tree had just come out. Uh, they were on the second single, right, between the first – and the seconds uh, when the streets have no name mm-hmm. and uh, and then so he kind of hid at our house when the onslaught of press first hit him really hard he mm. would, he would just he would just uh ride his motorcycle or rent a car and come to our house and uh he's so creative he thinks like a teenager still he's a <laughs> he's a dreamer and he's uh, he's got that open creativity uh that's a lesson that I've tried to keep in life uh, just keep that keep that open mind and and channel the creativity and never let that close like with with age and so he's he's still like a teenager he was like a teenager then we would go to hollywood and go walking around and i didn't drive at the time so i wasn't paying attention and he wouldn't remember where the car was <laughs> and we have to take a taxi home and he would send someone <laughs> to find the car he once hired someone to go find his car in hollywood and he knew only within like a you know 30 or 40 square block range <laughs> of where it was you know it was near the guitar center <laughs> oh, that's so, good stuff. i'm still a friend of his yeah and uh and the song that we worked on uh became the song she's a mystery to me which my dad did with jim keltner the drummer of the traveling wilburys and bono and when they did the first tracks of that i was in the studio and uh they were the only three in the studio it was jim keltner one of the top drummers of all time and a good family friend and uh, Bono playing acoustic guitar and my dad singing and they did the demos and built on that uh, and that song became She's a Mystery to Me on the Mystery Girl and Mystery Girl Deluxe albums Wow! wow. and uh, that song eventually morphed into the song One, if you listen to the song Myster- She's a Mystery to Me, there was a, a rolling rhythm with toms, kind of a boom, bop, boom ba doom bomb boom, bop Boom, that actually was kind of like a like a little music box that you're you know the little cogs in a music box as you wind it and that that rolling became uh, became the song one which uh, is for me the my, my favorite song and and my personal favorite yeah of of bono and you 2 like and you. nearly yeah. everyone nearly everyone so i had a small part but um that's really all, all bono he was i was lucky enough to be in the room and he was <laughs> Honorable enough to t- treat me with respect and make me feel like I was part of what was going on. Mm. He would say something and he would write it. He, I said something, you know, I don't know what gave me the audacity to throw in <laughs> with Bono and Roy Orbison and we're the only ones in the room. <laughs> Why they even let me stay in the room, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> they both treated me with respect and, uh, and I still honor them and thank them and talk about it today.
0: Outstanding, outstanding. Well, listeners, if you're not picking up on it, Roy has his hand in in a lot of different things. I mentioned in the intro some of the different hats that you wear, and I also said that you're currently in Nashville, but you also have a home in California as well as in Sweden, which you mentioned. I I believe even New York and London too. And then you are the co-founder of a record label called Roy's Boys, and you're the co-president of Still Working Music. You've had your hand in a number of projects that keep your father's legacy going. I haven't even mentioned your personal life. I can't imagine that there's such a thing as a typical day in the life of, of Roy Orbison jr. How in the world do you prioritize and manage your time to keep up with what sounds like so many different things you're working on?
1: Well, it's difficult. I have a lot of good people behind me and our, our staff. We have a big staff here in in Nashville. Um, but recently, I've just—I'm lucky enough and fortunate enough—I can kind of do what I want to, and um, I'm also lucky and fortunate enough that the work that I do is what I would do anyways. I mean, I—I I listened to nothing but Chuck Berry for five years in a row, and uh, I just didn't make podcasts or talk about it. That's what I do casually. Um, so now, when I get the chance to work with um, with so many people, you know, uh, with, with I. I've been doing a lot of interviews recently, and sometimes I'm figuring out that the angle of the, the the interviewer is that I am the son of a famous person in the shadow trying to play my music. And uh, that's easy to digest. It's easy to understand for the interviewer and the audience. But um, uh, somewhere about a month or two ago, I said, oh, if only my life were that easy. Mm-hmm. I wish it was just the the son of a famous person standing in my dad's shadow, and I just wanted to play guitar and have my songs known and things um that would make life so much easier i wish i was that but but i've gotten to know my dad uh, how great a man he was that in a way i'm not that type of person um i have to make a museum i've been working on the roy orbison museum for 10 years wow. we're doing two two plays right now uh there's also the pretty woman musical as i mentioned uh, mm-hmm. we have two movies one is in the works um and one is, is going into production. So we make movies, museums. We, we design the T-shirts. I've worked with Gibson on guitars. I work with Fender. Um, all, all the big companies, you know, and all the big museums, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Country Music Hall of Fame, and all the organizations. Um, how do I prioritize it? Well, it's the, it's the way that I grew up. So it's kind of seasonal like farming. In the uh, in the summer, I'm in Sweden because that's the best place to be, and I'm on vacation. <laughs> but then, as it gets cold, I go to London, and I end up going to the the Ivor Novella Awards or the um you know, there's always something great. And uh, one question I get a lot is, where is my favorite place? And really, I, I am so lucky. When when we're in London, it is you know, it's Beatles and um and Winston Churchill the third. And then when I, when we're in um when I get to Malibu, you know I go to Malibu then in the winter, and uh, then I never want to leave because I get there and suddenly I walk in at home and i'm I'm on a reality show and every year i'm there i'm I get to meet the biggest stars in the world, the people that I was just mm. watching last summer you know I get back and then suddenly there's Jack Osborne in the in the living room oh, and wow next year, and it just goes on year after year after year, I get to kind of surf over. Um, the greatest people in the world and get to meet so many nice people. Well,
0: yeah, and that feeds into that creativity that you were just talking about before that you're trying to keep alive and, you know, being stimulated by all these different environments and all these different people that you're coming in contact with seems to only complement that.
1: Oh, yes, it does. And, um, you know, just I don't know why I think about it, but just recently I've become great friends with James Burton. So I'm going through a big Elvis period and I'm driving down to Graceland (laughs) <laughs> once a month i'm down <laughs> at Sun Records in graceland and I'm, I'm doing elvis radio over there elvis radio over there and they're very nice to me and james is just like a casual friend i just ring him up he drops by and knocks on the door and uh and that's one place i i know a lot about music but that's that's one place where i get to be the audience a little bit and just kick back because uh, I'll, I'll say something like oh you know la 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 i'll talk about the wrecking crew or about, you know, the song Susie Q, or Roy Buchanan, you know, and he was there for all this kind of uh, great stuff. Um, uh, I, do, I do like to tell these stories. I, I say little jokes sometimes. I go like, Paul McCartney taught me not to drop names, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. So, uh, you know, uh, I don't normally just go around spewing this stuff out, but, uh, but when you get a chance, and, and if someone's listening who's interested – yeah Mary McCartney was my first kiss when I was two or three years old. I was you know sitting at McCartney's uh, <laughs> knee, and she was very beautiful and uh and And the stories just kind of go on. I'm a big music fan as well. that's a little bit of the difference with my family that uh that we're we're fans and and that we're not being nostalgia we're not being nostalgic, and we are not nostalgia uh with what we do, you know. Um, a lot of times I talk about the music that I play, and it's Chuck Berry, Buddy Holly stuff. They go, oh, like a rock and roll review? Well, no, not like a rock and roll review. Like the kind of thing that's going to scare you. you <laughs> yeah, honestly, just even the lyrics to these original songs, I don't think people were paying attention to Shake Roll.
0: Ratt- <laughs> Shake Ratt- and
1: Roll has lyrics in it. It says, the way you wear those dresses, the sun comes shining through. The way you wear those dresses, the sh- sun comes shining through. I can't believe my eyes. All of that belongs to you. Okay, this is not stuff that can even be played on the radio anymore. (laughs)
0: This
1: is tough. Uh, And I wouldn't go into the one-eyed cat peeping in the seafood store. (laughs) The energy from rock and roll, it shifts around, and it can be in Monty Python or it can be in film and cinema. It can be online in podcasts. That rock and roll energy, it just—it does never die. It, It keeps changing forms and kind of surfing a wave of teenagers. And um, yeah, I do like to keep that open.
0: Let's just get into a couple specific projects that, that I've picked out to, to have you talk about. The, the current album that we were talking about, A Love So Beautiful, Roy Orbison with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, has bounced around the top 10 in the UK for a couple of months now. In fact, it's doing so well that it's pulling other hit albums like The Ultimate Orbison up the charts again. Tell us about the single release from the album, the duet I Drove All Night with Ward Thomas.
1: Well, uh, Ward Thomas is a country duo act from England, and they're young girls, about 23, uh, Catherine and Lizzie, and they're big stars in their own right. But they did the song Drove All Night, and you know, I could write a book about any one of these topics, just, just even a little digression there. The song Drove All Night. When I was about 16 years old, the phone rang. My dad said, oh, get, can you get the phone? So I pick up the phone, and I hear this squeaky voice. Wah, 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 wah. And it's it's Cindy Lauper, you ah. know, and she talk like that. It's not a joke. It's not an act. I couldn't believe it. You could tell who it was. It was like a cartoon character. Wah, wah, he's right there, wah. I can't do it right, but it was very <laughs> like that. And I, I just you know, kind of put the phone on hold and I said, dad. It's Cindy Lauper. And then he's talking and he says, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. No, I wasn't going to do anything with it. You can take it. Yeah. Good luck. Thank hmm. you. Hangs up, and I didn't even know what he's talking about. But then, about two months later, the song "Drove All Night" was on the radio. on uh, It was on MTV. It was a big hit for Cindy Lauper. Mm. And uh, Roy actually um, had he sang he dropped by, I think in Santa Monica, the, the songwriter's um, house, and um, he did the song in one take. And then the guy pitched it to Cindy Lauper, so Cindy Lauper ended up doing it. Mm. Then Roy had a big hit with it, um, a top five hit uh, in 1992 with a posthumous album that my mom finished for him called King of Hearts, which is one of my favorite uh, Orbison albums because it's odds and ends. It's songs from soundtracks that he did with, with Glenn Danzig and, and Rick Rubin. And it just, it pulls from so many projects that I really like that album, King of Hearts. So drove all night is a hit from that album. And we gave new life uh, to it. Um, the song reached top 30 in 2017, about last month. And, uh, and the album is doing really well. I think it's in the top five right now.
0: Awesome. And
1: uh, it's already gone gold or platinum. It's in, wow. and, and in physical units, it's already sold a quarter of a million wow. units in the first two months.
0: Fantastic.
1: And that's, that's unheard of these days.
0: Fantastic.
1: So there's a little bit about Drove All Night. Uh, yeah. And yes, it's pulling the greatest hits up the, 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 the Ultimate Orbison, which excited me last week, it came into the top 100. And those other albums are pulling up because people are interested in Only the Lonely and Running Scared and Crying and all these
0: songs. That's great. That's great. Listeners, Mm -hmm. I am most grateful to Roy for making time to talk to me today. And I'm also grateful to TASCAM, who makes it possible for me to do interviews such as these and put this show out every week. Whether you're a podcaster, a guitar player like Roy, a singer, a home hobbyist, a touring professional, or somewhere in between, TASCAM has gear For all your performing and recording needs, microphones, headphones, audio interfaces, multi-track recorders, the list goes on. If you're a musician, by the way, and are going to be at the NAMM show in Anaheim, California in late January, get yourself over to the TASCAM exhibit to check out some of what they'll have on display. And I will be there too, so stop by and say hello And let me know that you listen to NHTE. I'll be hanging out at the TASCAM booth for the duration of the NAMM show. In the meantime, check out their extensive equipment lineup at TASCAM.com. Roy, you and your brothers, Wesley and Alex, finished an unreleased song called The Way Is Love for the Mystery Girl Deluxe album in 2014. We're actually going to play that song in its entirety at the end of today's show. But for now, tell me how was it to finish a song by your dad with your brothers?
1: well, it was uh, it was a great honor the My brother Alex has been in quite a few bands. Uh, the band's backbone 69 which they had to add the 69 because of a you know a technical issue. <laughs> Their name was Backbone, and his other band, White Star, they had a reality show, and that's Cisco Adler out in California and Alex is a, a real professional he's done world tours and things like that my brother wesley is a great singer he did an album uh, called spread your wings and uh, that album is great he sings a lot like my dad and uh, he's a great songwriter so those guys are both pros already um i play guitar and sing but i haven't done so much Uh, I, i used to be a bit shy and i i just uh preferred my my art by myself um we we found a tape, and you just mentioned Tascam, and uh, everyone. I used to have a little four-track Tascam, and it turns out everyone had that little four-track Tascam. <laughs> I know Brian Setzer had it. I know the guy from AC/DC. Uh, you know, I know Angus Young and Malcolm. They had them, and Per Gessel, of Roxette. Everybody had this little. Fo- Chris Isaac. All of us. So we all had this little <laughs> four-track Tascam. Really early, in it had a little cassette tape in it. And uh, I did my first song. I did. Uh, School Days by Chuck Berry. da 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 da, da dum boom, boom. And I, I put that down on four-track and did the little drums, everything. So um, <laughs> hats off to Tascam. <laughs> now, Roy Orbison was from a slightly earlier generation. And, uh, well, he was from the first generation of a recorded music. So they didn't use any kind of recording device in the early days. But then Roy's – I've seen pictures. Roy built a home studio in, uh, in the early 60s, and he had a Tascam – it was probably just a reel-to-reel, but it was one of those with – it was probably just one track, but maybe it was maybe it was more because he did little demos there. Mm. Um, later, he, he mostly um, – in the beginning, he didn't have any recording devices. You had to remember it. Then he had the, the test. <laughs> then everyone used a little cassette, and so that was Roy in the 70s, 80s. He just used a cassette, strum guitar, because he was just making uh, notes for himself. So we found one of these cassette tapes in the orbs Vault, and he mm. – it's, uh, it was just a cassette tape among all the others, and I don't think it was really labeled that well. It might have said The Way is Love. And we know about certain stuff that we're looking for for years, but we found this, mm. and um, we listened to it, and it was so good. We all started crying, and we realized, oh, that's a great contender for a bonus song. And mm. he song The Way is Love. He wrote it in Malibu um, w- you know, um, with, with his old longtime songwriter, Bill Dees. Bill Dees and Roy Orbison, they wrote the songs It's Over. Bill wrote Pretty Woman. And Bill is the one, the second male voice that you hear singing behind Roy on Pretty Woman. Uh. So that's Bill Dees. So Bill Dees came back in the 80s to Malibu to see Roy for the Mystery Girl album, and they wrote this song, The Way Is Love. My dad told the story many times, and there's interviews out there of him. He, He said he wrote the song, and it was so touching, he actually had to go into the other room during the songwriting because he just had to cry. He just felt it was so beautiful. Wow. the place he was at in life with, uh, with his wife Barbara and us kids surfing in the beach. and It was just such a majestic time in his life. He wrote this, this beautiful song, The Way Is Love. And uh, so we finished that song, and I could go on and on about it because we went to the Johnny Cash cabin and worked with John Carter Cash, who's uh, my best friend since I was um, born. Uh, We we were friends in my first month. He was my first little friend, John Carter. And now he's a great uh, record producer and musician all around. He runs the Johnny Cash estate, uh, you know, and still one of the most talented people in the world. So he produced this for us at his uh, Johnny Cash cabin. And so we had the Johnny Cash mojo and the John Carter Cash mojo and the Carter family in June and all of that energy. And Alex and Wesley and I. Did our best and we sang back up and uh that was i thought nothing could beat that really and nothing really can mm. that was a, also a highlight at the awesome. time i said that's the highlight of my musical career mm. but then i did this in my dad's studio we did the pretty woman and, and i got to see my little baby playing yeah that's a yeah. narrow as, as far as experience that was a mm-hmm. narrowly narrow <laughs> as my favorite musical experience but the way is love is um is a beautiful song it was never really meant to be released in the form that roy did it
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, makes it just a little bit more vulnerable and a little more um sad Mm, i
0: like it i like it and listeners as i said stick around because at the end of today's show we will play that song in its entirety okay now it's time for bruce's bonus this is a segment here on now hear this entertainment where i take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of now hear this incorporated giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians singers songwriters entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it today's bonus is let's talk about how crucial the link in your twitter bio is I've recently come across artists who use that spot to put a URL for their music on Spotify. If me or someone in the industry is checking you out and thus is looking for information about you, number one, Spotify isn't going to provide that. And number two, now you're forcing us to do the work of trying to find your website, which we're not going to do. We'll just move on to someone else. Also keep in mind that you are getting less than a penny, Less than a penny for someone streaming your music on Spotify, so you really want to think twice before you make that the link on your Twitter profile. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. How about that? Helpful? There are a whole bunch of tips just like that over all the prior episodes of this show. To make it easy for the listeners out there who are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers to get the tips in one concise format, there is a Bruce's Bonus book, Volume 1, Volume 2, and Volume 3 for purchase in ebook format, giving you all the tips from episodes 1 to 40, 41 to 80, and 81 to 120 respectively. Just go to W www.brucesbonusbook.com for online ordering and instant delivery. Roy, we were talking about some of the various projects that you have had your hands in. There's an audio book for the new book, The Authorized Roy Orbison, that you and your brothers wrote, and we hear you read most of it. We're going to play 60 seconds of that right now, but then I would like you to talk about this in particular. I'm wondering Uh, if this is something that you have done before. But here's that clip first. In
1: 1936, the town of Vernon was much like any other Texas town. There were three newspapers, a trolley, a fire department, two flour mills, two ice factories, and a courthouse, plus the Plaza Theater and the big Will Barger Hotel, not to mention eight churches, in the town where the St. Louis, San Francisco, and Texas Railway joined the Fort Worth and Denver lines. Vernon's population was estimated at 9,137 in 1936. But on Thursday, April 23, 1936, at 3.50 p.m., Roy Orbison made it 9,138. Roy Kelton Orbison, with light blue eyes and hints of sandy blonde hair, was born at Christ the King Hospital on the corner of Lamar and Pease Streets, right on the Chisholm Trail. Well, thank you. That was great. Um, I did this book with my brothers, uh, Alex and Wesley. We started uh, working on this with Jeff Slate, um, a writer from new york who we really love so jeff slate co-wrote this with us and uh, the book is called the authorized roy orbison it's the first true book on roy orbison if we didn't have a first-hand account or a receipt or a tour date or a picture it didn't go in the book and that's the big difference uh, mostly there's a lot of misinformation about roy even on his wikipedia yeah, and we do our best on the roy orbison.com and all our social media roy's pretty strong in social media on the big four instagram twitter youtube and uh, and Facebook. So um, so we try, and that this book is a little bit of an effort there as well, to uh, to explain to people that Roy wasn't blind, and that, yes, Roy was friends with Buddy Holly, and, yes, Roy was friends with Tom Cruise, and, and w- whatever. The, it's a picture book as well, so there's a lot of pictures.
0: But the audio book, did you record that there at, at your studio in Nashville?
1: I did. I have Pretty Woman Studios. And we were trying to compete with ourselves make the audiobook as special as the book and since we own the rights to the music we worked with Hachette a huge uh, m- a publisher and they they very creatively intersperse the music underneath before and after the text so there's little musical examples and we didn't want the book to just be like someone one person speaking and then they do a high pitched voice and then a low pitched voice and mm, different okay. sense a lot of yeah. acting so we got my brother Wesley to read the Roy Orbison quotes. Uh, my brother Alex is the narrator and he reads the introduction. Uh, the book is seven hours long. Yes, I did it here at Pretty Woman Studios. No, I hadn't done it before. And uh, what I found from the experience was that every job is completely different. Whether it's, um, you know, whether it's making a T-shirt or making a guitar, but more specifically, if you're making a play, it's very different than a book. And a book different than an audiobook. book. Uh, the procedure is different. The business is different. The I couldn't believe how different it was really, mm-hmm. you know, a completely different world and different different um, business etiquette that you have to go through. You know, each yeah. little thing
0: is tricks. It sounds like it was a good learning experience for you. And, and you know, in an eye opener in the business sense, as you're saying, it exposed you to a different facet of the industry that you otherwise wouldn't have had a reason to be.
1: Well, I'll give you a tip that I'm even using right now for this podcast, and that is before we started, I put on a little bit of chapstick, and you keep a little uh, plate with some sliced apple, slicing little slices, and you kind of bite on this apple in your little in your little breaks, and what that does, it keeps lip snaps, you know, little snaps and pops yeah. and S's, and actually your lips are very, uh, you can hear that on these podcasts, and, and so it helps with your, not your enunciation, but with your...
0: Exactly, exactly. I like it. That's a good tip. You've mentioned Johnny Cash's name a few times. He and June Carter Cash were your godparents. Your dad and Johnny wrote a song called See Ruby Fall from the 1970 album called Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. Tell us about that.
1: Well, I get to understand the experience of Johnny Cash and Roy Orbison a little through my own experience right now. I had a baby, baby Roy uh, the third, last uh, you know, in 2016. I, my wife Osa is from Sweden, but she's pregnant with our second child, uh, a boy. I'm happy to announce, uh, supposed to come February 14th. His name is Bo, B-O, Bo Orbison. And um, we named him after my mom, kind of, Barbara Orbison. We took the initials. And whether it was a girl or a boy, we were going to name the the child Beau. But children kind of um, give you a little golden period in life, you know, and, and just everything seems to be going right. And when I look at Johnny Cash and Roy Orbison in around 1968, 69, 70, well, actually really 69 and 70 and really in 70 the year i was born i was born october 18th 1970 john carter cash was born like late 69 but within the same 10 month period so june carter was pregnant with john carter cash and my mom barbara was pregnant with roy with me <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. speaking like uh, in third person you know <laughs> pregnant with me and uh, and and so it brought them really close for a little while john carter cash has just had his um He's remarried. He's he's married with Anna Christina Cash and they have a new baby, Grace, Grace June Carter, uh, Grace June Cash. I can't say baby Grace's name without saying Carter. I say Grace June Carter Cash she is named after June, but it's actually Grace June Cash. And she's a beautiful little girl. And uh, And I'm so happy and proud for John Carter. And, and our relationship, John Carter and I are, are kind of going through something now. And it would be very similar to what Roy and Johnny went through. They were next-door neighbors. They were already friends from, you know, 1955 when Roy was a teenager. And now they were living together and um, neighbors. So they a little story. I'll tell it as quick as I can. They wrote a song. Yeah, the song is called See Ruby Fall. And I kind of wanted to talk about that song. In Tennessee, there's a place, See Ruby Falls, and it's this kind of tourist trap. And there's all these billboards. And you still see them driving around Chattanooga today. And so Roy and Johnny were driving in the car in the front seat with June and Barbara in the back. They were pregnant with with me. They might have had John Carter already because they were going to look for baby strollers. Mm. i guess stimulators whatever you know they were looking for these baby strollers john carter still has the baby stroller that they got wow i don't have mine i think it burned in one of the many fires we've had but but he still has it and i think baby baby grace gets to use that one but they were on the way driving they would go barbara and june would were best friends they would go looking for antiques and they they found these and they were driving back with in a big, uh, I believe it was a Cadillac, and uh, one baby stroller on the roof and one uh, hanging out the back, and they wrote this song, See Ruby Fall. And Johnny Cash included it as song number four on his album, Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. And when I was little, that's the way Johnny, I don't know if he always did that, but he would start off facing backwards. He'd turn when the lights came on and go, Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. And so that's my favorite Johnny Cash album. It's often overlooked, but 1970. (laughs) I don't know musically and critically, but personally, it was a great, great time for Roy and Johnny Cash. And they were in their own little world. And um, I, I just read really, that was, I was happy to be there. <laughs> I was in yeah. my mom's. Cell.
0: <laughs> I like that. That's a good story, though. I'm speaking with Roy Orbison Jr., who is joining me on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Nashville. Visit his official website at royorbisonjr.com. And that last word is abbreviated. So it's royorbisonjr.com. Of course, we will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on nhte.net. You will find Roy on social media, too. There are links on his website to get to him on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, be sure to also check out the online store at RoyOrbisonJR.com. You'll find his podcast on his website, or there are links there for Apple and Android platforms as well. For our show, remember that we have a Facebook group where you can go and talk to other listeners of Now Hear This Entertainment, including other musicians. There's a button to go to it at NHTE.net or simply search on Facebook for the name of the group, which is NHTE Listeners. I look forward to chatting in there with you. Roy, I mentioned Bono and you 2 before. Bruce Springsteen inducted your father into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame 1987, around the same time as the Black and White Night concert. Do you have any good Bruce Springsteen stories to share by chance?
1: Well, I have so many great stories. I am a human jukebox when it comes to music, <laughs> music trivia. Um, I can preface that with some little teasers. One time, Steve Jones of the Sex Pistols lived on our couch for six weeks. <laughs> and he he just came and went and didn't even really say hello. He was just the guy <laughs> that didn't leave the party. you know. And so he was just there. I, he just was there like he should be. And he, he was there at the beach, and uh, another little funny thing, a story that I almost shouldn't tell, but um, west of Puddle of Mud, there was this group, M- Puddle of Mud, a, a little bit ago, and the singer is uh, kind of an explosive kind of person, but he, he lived in my closet for three <laughs> weeks <laughs> under different circumstances. So, yes, I, I've got stories ranging uh, you know from John Belushi to the Ramones, uh, but closer to home is Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Bruce is one of those people that floated through our lives as well, and he still floats in and out. Um, we, we we're still good friends, and and uh, and uh, Bruce worked with Sony on all these projects that I'm working on. You know, the we did a BBC Four documentary that, Bruce, and we're working with the same people that Bruce just did. The the documentary is called Roy Orbison Love Hurts, and I hope it comes to American uh, Netflix and things soon. But so far, it's just been in Australia and Canada, and and, uh, UK, but Bruce, uh, he did an audio book with Hachette and the same company and did the same little book tour that I'm doing mm. and, and, uh, many of the type of things. So Bruce, or that would be around 87 and Bruce did the black and white night concert with Roy Orbison and that concert famously had a lot of Roy's friends. Um, T-bone Burnett was there and Katie Lang and Elvis Costello jackson brown tom waits it had the elvis presley tcb band with alex akuna and all, all these people you know uh, ron tutt on drums and james burton the original elvis tcb band they reunited for the first time since elvis death wow died in 77 they got back together in 87 for wow. this that's also some you know great knowledge that that people they always talk about bruce and the big stars but they don't realize really the biggest stars on the stage was Elvis's band they were unbelievable
0: well but i think that's a testimony to your dad and to the boss you know mm-hmm. that that i i, I got to believe in my heart that the reason they chose to reunite was because it was it was at Roy Orbison and it was Bruce Springsteen and and that's about as good a reason you could get if if you're going to finally reunite
1: oh yes and uh and so Bruce he lived near us a lot of time he lived in at Broad Beach in Malibu and we lived in in the Central Malibu and so he was my brother Alex taught him to surf they'd go out like surfing and uh, and uh, my mom became good friends with his his family but Bruce um so Bruce was there he talks about Roy so many places in interviews he first opened up for Roy Orbison in 1970 mm. the year I was where he said he sat in the back of a U-Haul for 17 hours to go open up for Roy at some city hall or some city, you know, fair, some county wow. fair. Wow. And um, and then Bruce, you know, he sings uh in the song Thunder Road, he sings Roy Orbison's "Singing for the Lonely," "Hey, yeah, babe, that's me only," or you know, whatever he says, he's he he quotes Roy quite a few times. That's awesome. A, a lot of the greats do, you know, whether it's Neil Young, um, there's stories there all the way around, but Bruce, um, Bruce inducted Roy into the rock and roll hall of fame in 1987 and he was Roy's buddy for a while. They were on the top of each other's phone list and, <laughs> uh, and actually there for each other when things happen in life. When Roy, I remember a couple of little personal things and, and Bruce as well, you know, Bruce would come over and they would go for, go out to the beach and, uh, have their private time. Wow. um, Wow. And the height of that 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 relationship artistically and musically is in the song Dream Baby. Yeah. Dream Dream Baby was a huge hit for Roy and in, in the early 60s it was a number 3 here in America and number 1 all over. Dream Baby a huge song and uh, they sing that together and that's where the music kind of stops and Bruce goes, "Huh?" You know, and they come back in singing Dream Baby. So Bruce <laughs> Bruce Roy Dream Baby is But there's so many highlights. I've seen another thing on YouTube of of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame where it's Bruce Springsteen and John Fogerty singing the song Pretty Woman. And that's also just one of the greatest things on YouTube. You know, both those guys, so good doing doing Pretty Woman.
0: Outstanding, outstanding. You know, you mentioned before with regards to your father, because everybody has a mental picture in their head of your father and no doubt it's with him wearing sunglasses. What what was the story, set the record straight, because you said people thought he was blind. What's the story with him always wearing sunglasses? Did, you, did he invent sunglasses?
1: Well, it ends up being his enduring legacy, maybe, maybe big enough that it overshadows his fashion contributions, almost overshadow his huge musical contributions. Um, he and Elvis were the first two guys to dye their hair black, and uh, and Roy was part of that thing with Johnny Cash of the the all black. Yeah, and um, and Roy started, you know, he put his hair up in this pompadour like the Everly Brothers and Muddy Waters, and and uh, and all of them were doing it, and uh, the collar up and like platform shoes with you'd almost call them high heels, yeah. you know. And this was way before David Bowie or anybody was wearing any kind sure, of sure. And stuff. So Roy, Roy had bricks thrown through his window in the early days, and he was run out of town, and he was banned from cities uh, permanently. And that was really interesting. You know, 30 years later, we would be driving, and we'd drive around a county.
0: <laughs> you know, because Roy was banned from that county. <laughs> is, it, is that why he wore the sunglasses as, as a disguise?
1: No, there's many reasons. The, the most interesting is like the observations of the press and the critics, you know, you could in a Freudian, Jungian way. Was, was he hiding something? Uh, there's uh, so many. angles. I'll get to it in about five different shots. Uh, his first trip to Sweden, he gets off the plane and the, the lady comes out with a microphone in his face as he gets off the plane and she said, are you a heroinist? So in the early days, Roy was associated heavily with, you know, like Charlie Parker with heroin Mm. because of the sunglasses. That's how serious Uh. this was. Uh, Roy was the first star to wear them on TV and in the newspapers. And he did wear sunglasses at night and he wore wore them indoors Mm. and he was doing it to be cool and as a fashion statement. But there's so many different stories. You know, they, John Lennon takes credit for the sunglasses. Mm. Everyone works for dad. I talk to him and they go, yeah, I told him he looked good in those glasses. Or, Yeah, I, <laughs> I told him. Uh, so, so his manager, everyone claims credit for the glasses. <laughs> My brother Wesley will point out the practicality that Roy was wearing sunglasses. And when you shine those spotlights back through those glasses, it's like a magnifying glass on his eye. So he – in a practical way, it helped him on stage and it's Mm. the reason people still do it. It's the reason that Bob Dylan quickly appropriated the glasses in 65 and then John Lennon didn't want to be like Roy Orbison. So he consciously chose round glasses and they – and he felt they suited his face better. And then Bono – also, kind of breaking against the rock of Roy Orbison, he wanted to identify himself with the bug-eyed, you know, spy glasses. But the the most practical story that Roy always told from his own mouth was that he forgot his glasses on the airplane, and uh, when he went on a big tour and there was a lot of press, and so he he got stuck with his this image. And um, we've actually done the detective work to figure out. The tour that he's talking about was a tour with the Beatles in mm. 1963, in March and April, and in January and February he was on tour with Patsy Cline. Patsy mm-hmm. Cline was opening the tour at the height of her career. Patsy Cline opened for Roy Orbison, so that's also kind of a funny thing. Is uh, she is great? She is as big and great as as anything can be. And there's a Patsy Cline museum in Nashville by the Johnny Cash museum, and those are those are great museums. Please go there. But um, but uh, a lot of that came after her death in a kind of iconic way on an airplane. I believe she died around uh, March 3rd, uh, 1963. So January and February, Roy is touring with her. She died in a plane. A side note, Roy Orbison is the only person I know of who flew on a, in a, on a plane with Patsy Cline, Buddy Holly, Ricky Nelson, Jim Reeves, and Otis Redding. Wow. Roy actually sees all those people. So wow. as Roy got older he had kind of a, a growing fear of flying mm. he flew so much and he wasn't afraid in general but that he had to fly sometimes 30 days a month
0: wow you know, oh my gosh
1: he would fly from miami to jackson jackson to birmingham to birmingham to he would fly on a tour nationally and just stop at every little place in canada and everywhere so um so he was a he was crying over patsy Klein on the plane a little bit afraid of flying, and thinking about how she here he is on a plane going over the Atlantic, mm-hmm. and he put on his dark sunglasses on the plane. Uh, okay. He put his clear glasses in the little uh, compartment at the front yeah. of the seat. When he got off, when he when he when he arrived, there were like three thousand people waiting at the airport. Mm-hmm. So he he I think he just kind of got a little bit shy or nervous, and he got off the plane with those glasses. Boom, boom, boom! It was on the front page of every newspaper in the world or definitely nationally in England and then he went on this famous tour with the Beatles it was their first national tour their big break was opening for Roy Orbison and they did really well and over the course of that tour they did become a bigger star than Roy in England and then the following year they came to America and they became bigger stars than everyone
0: yeah but in the process the the sunglasses legacy was born and so that's that's really where it came from
1: Supermodels in New York still wear them, and something Roy doesn't get a lot of credit for. Um, he didn't invent Ray Ban style glasses. Uh, he invented his own, but he didn't copyright them.
0: Yeah, and he he invented the the idea of wearing them fashionably and 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 looking cool doing it. Roy, we're we're almost out of time, but I I want to take a personal moment here. I mentioned back in the intro that you are somewhat of a newlywed. You got married this past June, and the wedding ended up in Brides magazine as well as. People magazine congratulations but also mm-hmm. wow for for something so small and so private did you expect that type of publicity
1: well we didn't do it with any publicity in mind i i it was a it was a marriage of love and it it kind of fell into our laps we needed to get married and john carter cash he um he offered to become an ordained minister and i thought that was so cool you know when i when i went to joe walsh's uh, marriage to marjorie bach um you know my ad- adopted uncle and my family, uh, Billy Gibbons. I've been to two or three weddings where Billy Billy Gibbons <laughs> of Cop was the was the ordained minister, and so John Carter is kind of following suit. And he it was something he was interested in, and the the place that we had it was the Johnny Cash cabin, which is right. It's a, a stone's throw from my grandmother's house and Johnny Cash's house, and where my family pets are buried in our old yard, and. And my, my brothers died not far away, 500 yards away. So it was holy ground for us, and it was a, it was a spiritual thing. And it was meant to be completely private. Uh, and I only invited my brothers and my immediate family. And that made it um, real. It was, it was a real thing. Uh, we had some great pictures taken. The pictures ended up being so good that, yeah, it was in Martha Stewart and all over the place. Um, and, no, it wasn't really that planned. It was spontaneous, and that's one of the reasons that it did become so... Big was that it was kind of real, and uh the audience, even of a big magazine like people, they kind of can they can sense something real and beautiful and it it just seems like a fairy tale and and it was uh, my my wife and my son they picked me up when I was at my lowest point, and uh, so it is a little fairy tale
0: yeah, and it sounds like the like you were saying that it sounds like the attraction to the media was the fact that it was so private. So the fact that it's Roy Orbison's son and the fact that it was done on such an exclusive level made it that much more attractive to them. And listeners, by the way, Roy mentioned Joe Walsh. We had both of his drummers, both of Joe Walsh's drummers, Chad Cromwell, if you want to go back and listen to my interview with him on episode 196, and Joe Vitale on episode 122, and then also on episode 123, Wendy Wagner is among a number of other credits that she has. She is one of the singers behind Joe Walsh on his tour. So 122, 123, and 196 are some previous episodes of NHTE that you'll want to go back and listen to. In the meantime, Roy, as promised, we're going to close today with The Way Is Love. Before we let you go, though, is there anything further? You talked about this song already, but anything else that you'd like to tell the listeners about this before we play it?
1: Well, I would just like to thank you and NHTE. Thank you so much. I'm definitely going to go find your Facebook. I didn't know you had a Facebook. I'm going to go join that in just a minute, and uh, awesome. maybe i find some of your fans out there. Um, and uh, just what a professional, great job you've done. Uh, that You've made it so easy, and I feel we could go on forever. So thank you for the thank opportunity. So
0: yeah, absolutely. I appreciate the kind words. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Listeners, that will do it for this week's episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to musician, producer, music publisher, author, and podcaster Roy Orbison Jr. Do visit his official website. It's RoyOrbisonJR.com. And then engage with him on social media. So that means like his Facebook page. Follow him on Twitter and subscribe to his YouTube channel. And then watch and like the videos on there. For that matter, tell him you heard him on Now Hear This Entertainment Remember that there is an online store at RoyOrbisonJR.com and that you can find his podcast on that website also. And again, for Now Hear This Entertainment, there is a Facebook group that we would love to have you join. Just go to NHTE.net and click on the button there that says Join Our Facebook Group. Or on Facebook, you can just search for the group name, which is NHTE Listeners. Come in there, talk with me, talk with other listeners, talk with some Musicians that are members as well. Thank you so much for listening. We'll send you out today with the song that Roy has talked about that he and his brothers finished. It's called The Way Is Love. If
1: I could be the one to write the rules I'd invite the whole world to come back to, to When you learn how to lay down the floor Without listening to the truth
0: i vale.